You're listening to Live and Local, a podcast brought to you by 90.5 KCSU. On February 13th, I brought in Michael Gormley, also known as Blasty within the community. We talked about the past, present, and future of the Blast and Scrap, the community support community nonprofit that runs here in Fort Collins. For a quick rundown of the, the beginning, for uh, for those who weren't around, you know, Fort Collins in 2019, uh, it started in a Nonprofit sponsored all donation recycled arts and crafts store called Who Gives a Scrap. So uh, you already know my nickname and now you know the place. So Blast and Scrap. Mainly they had a, a fabric section that I saw from the window when I was hanging out at Gorehounds Playground, which actually is the first place that I put on a show was at Gorehounds Playground. I had talked to the owner who became quickly a friend, uh, Jeff Abbott. And said, my band, CB and the GGs, we do country bluegrass blues versions of punk songs, would love to open up indie movie horror night. So we used to go there pretty regularly on Fridays, and we would play 20 minutes horror punk covers turned into country bluegrass blues. So the Cramps, Misfits, you know, Gun Club, all that sort of stuff. It was because I was hanging out there that I saw Who Gives a Scrap, and I found out they were a nonprofit. It started in the back of that store as just like a donation-based, no alcohol served, uh, no one turned away type thing. And it was a tough sell sometimes, but I'd get the bands to show up at five o'clock with me and we'd move all the arts and crafts racks and we'd turn it into a, a space that could fit about 80 to 100 people. The music was shut down there about a month before the pandemic. Uh, a neighbor complained, even though our shows were after they were closed. It kind of forced me to be creative. I started looking for other places to put on these shows and, you know, I couldn't be so strict in the, in the no alcohol thing, but I very much didn't want these shows at bars. And no matter what, uh, when I say all ages, always, I mean it music. I know I've like said this quote like a hundred times, but if music is subjugated to bars, then we're gonna be stuck with dad rock for the rest of our lives. It's just, it's not right. If you want new forms of music, it's going to come from the youth. And the only thing that is good about having a 21 plus show is that musicians are at home who are underage writing a song about how much you suck. I, I have no Reason to want to push forward in a 21 plus environment. It's not for me. Uh, I want to hear what's new. Uh, I certainly don't want to be one of those back in my day music was better kind of people. So I started like looking for other somewhat non-traditional venues. Wolverine Farm was the first one that took on a few of my shows, which is really great. And it's a, for the most part, it's a bookstore and a coffee shop. And they have an upstairs little place where they would do like you know, story reading and some other events, but nothing like a hardcore show. They let us do it. That was like the place for about three shows that I put on besides County Line Ranch. And then it became March 2020 and we had the great pause. And now we've been having lots of little intermittent pauses, but that was the great pause. And when things came back, you know, immediately I wanted to work with Empire Grange because I had heard about them. And, you know, besides being told a few times that that Green Day played there during the Kerplunk tour in you know the early 90s. I was like, this is this is a cool room. And it, it reminded me much about like growing up in North Jersey. And a lot of what I do uh, does come from that. Like I grew up in Strip Mall America and we played a lot of non-traditional venues. I played a lot of VFWs and Legion Halls in my first band. Uh, Eastern Lights represent. My first show was at a place called Skaters World, which was a roller rink that was transformed into a venue by night. And my first show was opening up for Catch-22 on their first show with their second lead singer. So there was like hundreds of people in the audience as I was a 15-year-old getting on stage for the first time. And it motivated us because we knew that if we were going to be opening up for them, that there was going to be a lot of people there, right? And it has a lot to do with why I pair 
up-and-coming bands with the artists that I pair them with because I think it's going to motivate them. If I have a headliner, I mean, there's no such thing as a headliner at a local show to me, but like if I have the top build band, something that you're clearly aspiring to be something like, you might go home and practice longer. You know, you guys are going to work on your set and you're going to make sure that like you're, you're ready to go. So I know I'm on topic, even though I kind of strayed from the topic, but right. But so like non-traditional venues are very important to me and any place that will let you have music, even if it's like acoustic music and poetry in between or live painters with it. Like I'm looking to do all sorts of kind of mixed matched collab shows. I went to numerous places in town. So we went to Empire Grange and it's kind of in a residential neighborhood. And those first two shows back went very, very well, except for the fact that we had, you know, kind of the the kibosh on hardcore shows after that. But like, what are you going to do? I can... I was invited to go back to that space if I put on music that would be better for the neighborhood. So that's fine, too. Uh, I guess I'll have to work with what I have in the directions that I can. Vindicate Foods, I mean, ascend from Boog, right? Like, well, I was introduced by uh, Hannah Whitmire, and I think she sits on the board of directors of their nonprofit. And it was kind of how I, I pushed further in a mutual aid meets music kind of thing. Like, I always wanted to suggest a donation door. I always wanted food, not bombs. I always wanted the free clothing thing as like these people were, were coming to me and they wanted to to add to our shows. It was a, a no brainer. But once we got to Vindicate Foods and they were like, put out as much food as you want and you don't have to charge people to eat here. It was like, well, well, now we're doing it. You know, it's not just a suggested donation door. Like you can come into this parking lot and you can get free music, free clothing and free food. So What's more community than that? I mean, if you're if you're lonely, if you don't have money, if you are hungry, and these are all things that make people isolate and end up living in their own heads in whatever quarters that they have available to themselves. And this is a place where you can come and you can share in the art with each other and you make those connections. I mean, uh, it bears repeating, music saved my life many, many times. I had no place to live in 2017 and... A handful of really good friends kept me on the road following the band Ween because they knew I didn't have anything else. And I mean, it meant everything to me. And it gave me the strength to to get my life together and, you know, put down the bottle. And about a year after I did that, I started building all this. Community through music is why I'm still alive. And if I can do any bit to help somebody else find the exact same thing, I will. So yeah, so we did like over 30 shows at Vindicate Foods. I think we had like 80-something bands almost every single Friday and Saturday from uh, late spring into uh, mid-autumn. <laughs> I mean, the, you were at the before last show. It was, was like mid-October. It was so cold. My feet by the end of the night were just frozen to my socks. We found out who was really hardcore that night. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to th- think who closed that. Was that the... Wolf Sinister Pig closed. Sinister Pig closed. Their only one. show of the year, so I told them they should close. Okay, yeah. That was a... I had a lot of fun at that show. It was a good show. It was a good show. And the next day was the, the documentary. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yes. That was more during the day, though, wasn't it? That was a daytime. That was a daytime. Well, I like Saturday afternoons, because... Just more hours for music and more bands. I mean, those Vindicate shows averaged six bands. That's just because I would have four bands on Friday within like three hours, and I'd have like six to eight bands on Saturdays. I think by the end of it, I had nine bands on one show. About six bands averaged throughout all those events. Two tents, side by side. One band's always setting up while the other one's playing. and just ran it like a music festival. It's weird. When I first started doing things like that, there's some people in town that are just like, it's too much. Just do it traditional. Mike, 
three bands, just two bands is even good enough. Like, why do you push yourself? And in the beginning, I was trying to compete with Pinball Jones, right? I was in an arts and crafts store and I didn't have a bar. They had pinball and a bar. I don't want a bar, but I still know that's something that people are going to want to go for, right? So I would set up arts and crafts tables, and then I started hiring comedians between the bands. started hiring circus performers to swing while bands are playing, because I always wanted to have circus performers swing over my head while I'm playing music, right? And that kind of turned into the, how far can I push this thing? And when we do have an opportunity, when somebody does say, okay, like, you can have a home here for the time being, I will do everything within that short span of time to get our time's worth, right? So if I can put eight bands within five hours under two tenths, and it's weird, you'll like see these waves and sometimes I'll do it on purpose. I'll just like, I'll couple bands of bands that are of a similar style, but then like slowly gravitate into new styles of music throughout the night. And it's like, you'll get like 50 people here in the beginning and then none of them are there at the end and there's 80 people total at the end. I think it's just like a couple leftovers from the start of the show. I mean, if five hours of music is too much for you, okay. But like me, I had a chance. So if I have a chance, I'm going to use the chance to like, you know, also get as many new bands as possible. I mean, that's the thing is like sometimes when I'm doing more traditional venues, especially when I'm building a relationship with them, you very much want to knock that out of the park and you want to show them what you can do. Right. But if I have like a parking lot and I could do whatever I want, I love taking risks. I love booking people that nobody's ever heard of and throwing them right in the middle so that people have to watch them because they love the opener and they love the closer, right? I want to get bands from out of town. I want to work with more people. I mean, the more we can spread, the better. Yes, absolutely. I love the uh, whatever we want to do, we can do kind of mentality. And that's with all of these kind of community support tables as well. Like you've got a lot of people tabling and doing... I mean, I've seen face painting. Uh, I've seen, you talked about the the food and the clothes, but uh, what other, like, well, we, what other kind of tables have you had at these events? What are... I've had a handful of live painters, which I dig. Uh, we had a, a resident live painter, and he'll be back at some point, David Este, and he would, and it's funny, so like David, uh, people have heard this story before if you've listened to me talk about him, but he was stabbed at a bad brain show at CBGB back in the early eighties. Right. But like, so he's, he's been around, right. He's a very calm guy and he would live paint the bands in the back of who gives a scrap. And I would put him right next to the soundboard as like the last level of protection. Cause we didn't have any barriers. Right. So like <laughs> he would just sit there and like the mosh pit would come swinging at him. He would just like stiff arm. Sometimes people get like get upset with him. And it's like, well, first off, like we can't, if it wasn't for him, our equipment would have been busted a long, long time ago. And he kind of took that as like a badge of honor. Like I get to live paint these hardcore shows, but also I'm kind of the bouncer to make sure that like thousands of dollars of equipment doesn't get ruined. It's an interesting position that he holds in between. Yeah. (laughs) But also at the end of the night, if you're interested, he's got a painting of your band and you know, the deal that I struck with him, because I, I don't want bands who are playing our show to have to pay for anything, right? But at the same time, he's an artist, and he should be able to make his worth as well. That the deal was, if he sold them the painting, that they owned 100% of the rights to it. So they could use it for an album insert or a cover or you know, the back for the listing of songs or whatever it is. So ended up working out beneficially for everybody. 
Nice. Uh, so, you know, we've been progressing through these uh, these pop-up venues. And, and the Chippers is the newest one. And Chippers is the newest it one. It went really well. Well, it's, a, it's 8.30 North. I mean, there, there are Chippers that aren't venues. So, like... It's not just really a rebranding. It's it, it's legitimately its own place, and I'm excited about this one this Wednesday, which is 2454 North in Greeley. First off, because we've never had a show in Greeley, but it's like it's a different feeling there than it is at 830 North as well. I mean, it's still like great sound run by the Mishawaka, but it's like each one of these venues is going to have a unique feel, which allows for me to kind of build this little mini festival inside to be you know crafted towards its you know its own vibe. The show on Wednesday is also it's Seam Ripper, yeah, Wolf Blitzer, yeah, and who's the last Night Waker? Night Waker, yeah, Night Waker's first show, but they've been putting out releases for a couple of years. So like, as soon as I booked them, people were like, "They're finally playing out," and I'm like, "I just listened to them, and I was told they're from Greeley and the Friends of Friends, right?" Because I'm always asking anybody I know who's from any town that plays a show that's like you know not Fort Collins, but anybody who plays, and they're like, "Oh, I'm from Greeley." I'm like, "So what bands are they there?" I'm a big dork. I am. Like, I've always been a music history nut. When Wikipedia, like, first came out, and I noticed that all the band members' names were highlighted, and I could find out what their side projects were and who they opened up for. And it was like finding the thank you list again in the 90s with CDs where I could, like, scope out new bands, only everything's at my fingertips this time. So (laughs) even in local music, I'm just – I very much am a dork. I want to know what bands they were in beforehand. I want to – like, I just – I'm a nerd about history. I want to know where it comes from, you know? I, I absolutely agree. So I haven't... I hope so. You have a radio show about I, I, music. I, I hope so, too. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I've seen Seam Ripper. Have they played any of the shows? Yeah. So Seam Ripper, uh, even if you have not seen Seam Ripper live, you have seen a show at Vindicate Foods where Rob, their drummer, has done sound. Right? Ben, their bass player, uh, has done door. Uh, Edgar has as well at, at Wolverine and volunteered in other capacities and set up a breakdown. So... Uh, three of the four of them have volunteered frequently and the other one, uh, was my old coworker. That's how I found out about them. Right. So, uh, I've been saying they sound like Bauhaus has a hardcore drummer, but it is kind of like that. It's like, they're like this death rock, gothy synth sound thing that I dig, but like, you know, the real early spooky stuff and just this like very intricate hardcore drumming though. It's like, I feel like bad just saying it's hardcore drumming. It's like, no, it's like. Rob is really good. I don't know if he knows it, but he's really good. Anyway, so like Seam Ripper, his, it covers a few bases of music that I like without being pinned down to any one of those genres, which is like, that's what I love, right? Crossbreeding. It's how you get new styles of music. Um, and then Wolf Blitzer, I mean, they're, they've been with us for so long. They have been. They've put on some of the... Biggest shows that I've ever had, and they're they're fantastic and supremely nice people. So absolutely, I actually I just saw them last night. <laughs> yeah, uh, they play other shows besides for Blast and Scrap. That's it. I'm canceling. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's it's gonna be a really good show. But also, I'm really excited because Austin from Nightwaker has been like introducing me to all the visual artists and like tattoo artists who sell prints in. Greeley because we're we're bridging that gap too because I very much want to keep the scrap aspect of our nonprofit like I know it's turned into also screen printing and the community theater and technically Cape Pals started before Blast and Scrap so but that that is the scrap aspect of what we do right but like it's also finding visual artists to set up tables like 
We want to be a creative zone. If you walk into our place, there is a table set up for you to be able to live paint the bands if you'd like to. And you're probably sitting next to somebody who is live painting the bands because they asked in advance to do that. At the same time, you're going to pass three tables of other artists who are from the Greeley area. So these like, you know, 830 North, I'm working with a lot of people that I've worked with before, but they're going swimmingly well. I'm very used to working in Fort Collins, but working in Greeley and Broomfield is exciting. It's like Blast and Scrap 3.0. Like I get to like meet new artists. And the best part about that to me is that I'm going to get to pluck them and take them here, put them in the middle of a lineup, and I'll be able to pluck the ones from over here and put them over there, right? But like the first three shows, maybe for both Greeley and Broomfield, I'll try to stick to mostly bands from that area just to kind of let them know this is what we do. Get the following for like, you know, I think most people who are into this style of music have a pretty good taste in music and I know how to curate a show, right? So like if they're into what we do, then they can just start trusting that the show is going to be good. And, you know, one of my favorite parts about this year is that we had a show at, at Wolverine, right? And kid comes upstairs and he goes, man, I do not know who Dirt Sucker and the other band who I'm blanking on, I don't know them, but like, are they new Fort Collins bands? This is really exciting. And I'm like, no, they're not. They're from Laramie and Pueblo. You know, like, I just think it's kind of nice that people at some point, if they've been to enough of your shows, they trust that you're going to put on a good show and you're going to bring the heat. All right. So we're going to do the same thing for Greeley and the same thing for Broomfield. Eventually, I want to get to a place where I can book the show that I want to see, and people will trust it as the show they want to see, too. Not to make it about me. It's just, you know. Yeah. I, uh, I, the same thing happened to me in, like, middle school and high school. People still, when I go back to visit New Jersey, talk about the, the Mike Gormley mixtapes and, like, how many, like, punk rock bands they got into because I would make these, like, mixtapes that people would then burn again so like the fourth copy of this mixtape was like hissy and bad quality but still like i just i just used to love doing it i still do just making like like mixes and then passing them off to people to get them into new bands yeah uh sorry i'm, I'm just trying to uh no it's okay i go way off topic that was but, a... yeah I... <laughs> <laughs> okay so you told what... me there's any music in between me talking for these two hours and i was like why <laughs> like, don't worry. You don't have to talk the full two hours. I'm like, I can. I think I think we just a few resets here and there aren't too bad. Uh, so okay, so um, I want to talk about how you have a hope to procure a permanent space. So yeah, we are saving, uh, as most people know, for a new space, um, and we've been lucky enough to have partners like Vindicate Foods who've allowed for us to uh, save. And we have a lot of great friends in this. I get choked up thinking about it. A lot of great friends and bands in this community who've been putting it back into the nonprofit to ensure that, like, I mean, I know they have a hand in it too, that they're going to eventually have a space that they can play in regularly. But, like, it's, it's nice to be trusted, especially if you consider just, like, four and a half years ago the way that I used to live that I was able to to get something together and, and establish, you know, some sort of trust level of people. Anyway, so we are saving. Uh, we, we've never actually uh, been happier to be a pop-up than we have been for the last year, though. I mean, 
paying for rent when there could be a shutdown at any time is just not smart, right? But at the same time, uh, we are going to save, and it's given us the chance, right? 2020 is when we did our 501c3 paperwork. The reason why I was able to, while working a full-time job and running Blast and Scrap, be able to do all of the the paperwork for it is because there was a pause, right? So, like, now that we're a pop-up, it's giving us the opportunity to play shows all over the place, make all these supremely beneficial partners, build these relationships with people who also have the love and the drive for music and community, uh, all the while getting our credit union in order so that eventually we can lay down rent on a space. Um, I do want to be on the north side of town. Uh, I do want to be on the bus line. All right, I want to be close to Old Town, but I don't want to be in Old Town. I want to be closer to affordable housing so the people who would benefit from the programs that we have are right there and it's accessible. Um, and yeah, I mean, I am supremely confident. I am like, I have the drive and I certainly don't know how to quit. Um, it's a good thing about transferring addiction. I became a workaholic when it came to this stuff and uh, I don't see myself slowing down at any point in time. Would you like to tell everybody where they can donate to Blast and Scrap? Sure. If you go to blastandscrap.org, um, that is our website. You can also read about all of our programs on there. But there is a Donate Now button. If you are just out there in the radio waves world and you want to donate right now, uh, Blasty with an I, B-L-A-S-T-I at blastandscrap.org is also our PayPal and our Venmo. Um, anything is sufficient. Honestly, this thing has survived off of the energy of all of you uh, way more than it ever survived off of money. But if you do have anything to kick in, just like at our shows, kick in what you can because it's going right back into the community. It's not going into my pocket. I put everything that Blast Scrap makes right back into the programs because it's the lifeblood of the thing. It should be noted that even when we acquire a, a permanent space, I still want to do pop-up shows all over town. I want to partner with as many people as possible. This thing is contagious. Uh, the love for music is not unique to me in this town. And I had no, no clue when I moved to Fort Collins. I moved here for love. I had never been to Fort Collins in my entire life. I did not know there was two music festivals in town. I didn't know there was 10 music venues in town. I didn't realize any of these things. So like, why wouldn't I want to just keep making connections? Anyway, before I sidetrack you know, way past the stadium... <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I know you're interested in, in what this would entail inside of a permanent space, right? Um, we recently acquired a brand new used uh, six color uh, screen printing press. Uh, we were doing one color before that, and we were able to do so because it's, uh, you know, through people's donations when they get sustainable merchandise, it will have its return. Right. So like what we're doing is, is working, you know, um, not to pat myself in the back. It's just, it is, we have people that have screen printing experience who came in and are excited to work with sustainable materials. It's like they get to do the thing that they love and they don't have to feel so guilty about the excess pollution or, you know, where the t-shirts come from. So we definitely need room for screen printing. Right. And we had a stage when we were back at Who Gives a Scrap. We built it, right? And we had a drum riser. So uh, it was just pallets. And, you know, 
The, the benefit about pallets is that you can weave wires in and out of the slats, right? So it actually makes a pretty good stage. You just got a staple carpeting on it. Um, and then just one extra stack, because I don't want like a rock star drum riser, just just one pallet higher, right? Not one that does a full 360 in the air? <laughs> <laughs> Do you want me to get me involved in the Eddie Vedder, Tommy Lee, Pearl Jam, Motley Crue feud going on right now? Doing it in the DIY scene too. Yeah. <laughs> First off, if I could pull off a 360-degree spinning drum riser, I would. I would. If you've ever seen, if you went to any of our shows at Who Gives a Scrap that had a circuit, had the Fort Collins Circus involved, you'd know that that's like that's totally something that I would do. But like growing up, you know, and going to Coney Island a lot, I, I have an affinity for the circus. Right. So. Uh, Speaking of which, I would love to have high ceilings so that we could still get people like the Fort Collins Circus, you know, the Flying Brain, Stephanie Morfitt, shout out, um, you know, get them hanging from the ceiling by her hair. It's true. She's only one of a few people in the world that can do that, and she lives right here. Anyway, um, so as long as we're able to run our programs, uh, I was certainly like a long strip of space. You know, our community theater is really important to me. Um, people don't realize that for after-school programs like sports, you know, that there's dues that you have to pitch in for the bus rental, you know, for uniforms, things like that. And our community theater is like our musical events, just a donation. No one turned away. And people can kick in what they can or they don't have to kick in at all. And by being able to have a community theater that's an after-school program that people can be a part of regardless of their economic background is really, really important. So, you know, it doesn't have to be an amphitheater because honestly an amphitheater is not really conducive to the mosh pit that will ensue at 9.30 at night at the Blast the Scrap location. But, you know, I think a long strip mall strip would be just fine too. I'm, a, I'm flexible. You know, to be honest, I think this is one thing I've probably shown about myself the last few years is that you give me any kind of space, I'll transform it into something that, you know, I think of sometimes just five minutes before the, you know, we start setting up. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, just to interrupt you real quick, because a part of what we, you and I have talked about previously to today, we talked about how you are hoping to have uh, just like instruments for people to borrow. So yeah. I just want to point out that if you don't have the ability to donate music or donate money, it, you're not just looking for that. You're looking for people to donate equipment or yeah. something that just doesn't get touched. Creative reuse, what it's called, right? Like that's something, the term I learned through who gives a scrap creative reuse center. Um, we do have programs like band blast off that we're just getting off the ground now where we do want to acquire instruments and pass them off to people who don't necessarily have access to those things. But that's something that people actually just started doing when they knew I was doing shows inside of a used arts and crafts store already. And you get them to the right hands and you are helping further art in this world. I mean, you are directly contributing to somebody's creativity and that is priceless. So, I mean, at the end of the day, what is more valid? Like you giving us $10 and perhaps splitting it amongst the band, right? Or are you donating a keyboard that we can give to somebody who's going to start the next band? Right? Or donate your time. Yeah. Well, always set up and break down. I mean, 
First off, I wouldn't even think to ask you for money if you came two hours early to set up. But like, if you're not free to do that, I'd still rather have you within our walls or lack thereof, just because a show with more people is always going to be better. And you tell a joke that makes the singer laugh, and then he gets a little bit of you know, energy, or you tell something touching to the drummer, and then she ends up thinking of a new drum fill on the spot just because she has the extra burst of energy. I mean, these things as a direct correlation to the mood that you add to the show. So uh, just show up no matter what. But definitely, if you'd like to contribute in helping put on the show, always taking volunteers. If you have anything that's a creative reuse supply, musical instrument, even if you think it's just a kid's toy, man, come on. Have you seen what Beck does with kid toys? Like you can do things with, with pretty much any noisemaker. So uh, always looking to acquire those things. Yes. Yes. And, and blanks. If you have blank t-shirts, right? Blank sweatshirts, things that you've outgrown. We have bands who are looking to get, I mean, you have to realize we live in a day and age where Spotify is how the majority of people get their music, right? So people aren't buying physical copies of music, which used to be the majority of the paycheck that somebody would get for being a musician, right? So merchandise is where it's at. Any of these 17 year old kids, you can't really blame them for not looking in depth into how their merchandise is made. They want the cheapest possible merchandise because they're trying to get their business now, you know, Whatever your naysayers want to say, being in a band should be treated like a business. If you want it to be your career, if you want to like make a living off of your art, you do have to be business-minded about it. So if they're able to come to us and make it through sustainable means, I mean, why not? That's a good way to support the music community. If you're going to donate it to the thrift store anyway, why don't you donate it so that we can press a band's you know logo on there, and then they can sell it for 15 bucks at the show and put it back into their own system. Absolutely. Then this kind of segues to another conversation that we've had previously. And we talked about how not the assets, but the different, just like different people that are there to help. Yeah. You're hoping to have people to help the younger bands with the business aspects. You're hoping to have people there to help them with the merchandise and the promotions and the social media. It's community supports community. Correct. And we shouldn't just be, I mean, I know it started as we're the place where your band plays their first show, but in any capacity that you want to be part of music and dare I say, just the creative world in general, you should be able to cut your teeth at a blast and scrap show. Like I'm not going to charge you a table fee to sell your visual art. Right. But I also want someone to know that like, what oversaturating your market and playing too many shows is going to do for you. What having a press package would be beneficial to you, right? Maybe this more simplistic merchandise is going to catch the person's eye instead of, you know, the over the top one. Like there's people that you can talk to within our organization who have experience doing this. And a lot of them just donate their time because they want this project to be successful because of what it's going to do for the youth. And that's the thing is nobody, uh, very much included myself got into this because they thought it was a financially viable career choice. You know, that's not why we do this thing. We, we want to see music grow, expand. We want new styles and I would love to be there as it happens. I feel myself very, very blessed and lucky that I get to be a part of this. And, you know, not just a part, you're driving force right now. I mean, I just needed something to do. It's the truth, though. I, I felt like I hadn't had that energy since I was a teenager, and it's kind of weird to be in your mid-30s at the time, and it happens. Talking about this, getting people to cut their teeth, and it has helped foster this younger generation of 
bands in this new new wave since the shutdown. I sat down with King Crawdad a few months ago. Sweethearts. The, just uh, a bunch of sweethearts. Just a bunch of beautiful people. Yeah. Miles Mercer uh, told me during the interview, and I mean, both Nick and Tucker as well, but specifically Miles said this. He said, without Blast and Scrap, we really wouldn't see this younger generation coming out. And because of all of these things that have been going on and what's been going on, some of their favorite bands have only been formed for six months. And it's crazy to hear that, like in the local scene, some of like my six favorite bands besides for like everybody who's been around are all, they haven't been around for more than six months or there some kids in high school who you've been able to give this opportunity to. It's just, it's really cool to see. Well, Miles Mercer has uh, made me, tear up or cry no less than 10 times. So <laughs> you can put another notch in your belt there, Miles. Um, you know, people need opportunity. People need to be able to have a voice. I think it's very important. We spoke of it before that, you know, do you want these people to not have a microphone? Cause that'd be more detrimental to society. But like in general, I want to hear the new stuff as much as anybody else. Right. And rock and roll was invented by teenagers. So to not give them the stage as they are the age in which this music was developed would be ridiculous. So even when I get opportunities, you know, like Mishawaka and Blast and Scrap presents these 830 North shows, right? I still want to get some new musicians on there. Like it's, it's important because if you see two of the bigger names in town, right? Maybe just one of them. Anybody that's going to pull you in there and you see a name you don't know, you're going to look up that band. And if they don't have a demo online and I put them in the right position, you're going to be there and you're going to be there to see what they have to offer. And it's it's crazy to me. You get this band like watching people drown. I got to watch them at the Lyric and they just they wrecked the house. And all I could think to myself is I wouldn't want to follow that. And there was three more bands who are ridiculously good in the lineup. And it's like, even if I was in that band, I wouldn't want to follow that. And they all followed it perfectly fine. I'm just, you know. Watching People Drown comes up in conversation a lot recently. And how old are they? They're in high school yeah. still, right? They're like 17, maybe 18. Totally. I have no idea. Still see them at half the shows that I go to. I haven't actually like struck up a conversation with them. but You should. They They're all th seem very Amazingly nice. nice people. Yeah. Uh, and... Going back to this this demo idea, you're talking about these bands like, oh, you see them on the bill, but they don't have a demo or you don't. They will soon. They, they just have will to come soon. to us. And that's another part of this permanent space that you've, yeah. you're trying to do with. Well, because we want. All right. So the idea is roughly we're going to do everything that a record company would do for you between the 50s and the 90s. Only you're technically going to do it yourself. And at the end of the day, we are not going to own the rights not even a fraction of your art, right? You pay the nominal fee for your instructor to show you what to do. So if you come in and record your demo at the Blast and Scrap location, we're not going to put our hands on the mouse, but somebody's going to walk you through everything that you need to do on the computer in order to record, right? And give you the tips and tell you, why don't you check out this plugin? And then you're going to have to find it yourself, right? And then by doing things by your own hands, you're going to be able to do it by yourself the next time if you'd like to, or maybe you like the environment of Blast and Scrap and you want to come back and do it with us, or maybe you get good at doing that and then you want to come back and Blast and Scrap and you want to teach the next person how to do that. So 
if you are able to, within our walls, cut your demo, make your merchandise, actually be linked to a merchandise designer if you're not a visual artist yourself, or if you are a visual artist, be able to be the merchandise designer for another band. Right, you put together your press package, you're able to play your first show or maybe your first headlining gig all within our walls, and you own the rights to your work. I don't want anything past once the project is done, Albini style, just like here, this is what we take, and it's gonna be much less than that, you know? Then it's yours, and it should be yours. You're the one that put all the work into it. You know, we, we just gave you tips because we want your art to thrive. And, you know, you should be able to get your education without having to pay an arm and leg it. You know, places like this. Even though I like this place. I'm just, you know, I couldn't help it. I had to say it. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. I, I, community sports community. Yeah. Number one. Number one. If you really love music, you know, I know like, there's like the whole competition thing competition thing just drives like better musicians, right? I mean, it's fine if you want to compete against another band and just keep on trying to outdo them on the next album. But at the end of the day, if you really love music, you should be encouraging the youth to learn how to do these things and giving them the tips that you wish that somebody told you, right? That if I knew them, what I know now, well, I know a lot now about all the mistakes I made for the last 30 years. So I might as well be passing them on and letting the people you know, know how to do it. This has come up a few times today, but talk about that that competition, but friendly competition. Yeah. But then you also, we talked about uh, when you're on a bill with somebody and you know, you're coming up after and that band just blew the roof off the place. It drives you to be better. And yep. Blast and Scrap has brought a lot of musicians together. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of other, uh, other ways here in town that musicians have been brought together. But I just heard it yesterday from my brother, actually. They... <clears throat> going through some formations for a new band and uh, I'm the, excited. The guy that they found to drum for them, he's like, yeah, like I think we're all going to have to get better because he's, he's just too good. We need to, we need to hop up a few levels here. It's just, it's, it's, it's nice to see and nice to hear. And it's not competition. It's, it's, it's progressive movement within this scene. Fire. It's energy. A beautiful thing. Beautiful yeah. thing. A good drummer will up your game, right? I mean, it's a cliche, but you're only as good as your drummer. If your drummer's not good, the whole band's going to fall apart. I'm actually lucky to have been in a similar situation when I was 15. We had a good drummer, and then we found an amazing drummer, and my band got exponentially better real fast because we all had to go and practice a lot more. We just kind of touched on the permanent space that been trying trying to fund for yeah yeah uh and well you know i'm we are saving certainly um we only recently started doing the shopping aspect because like i said i mean during a pandemic just losing liquid assets on a space you can't even hold shows at it doesn't seem reasonable not beneficial to the cause either at that point yeah yeah we don't want to waste what we have we want to pop things off right want to progress towards a beautiful music scene that we already have. Yeah. Yeah. So we have this kind of hardcore punk scene that's going on right now. Uh, lots of fun. Love so it. much energy. Do you see the scene here in Fort Collins progressing? I mean, it's obviously going to progress past this hardcore scene, but how do you see blast and scrap being involved with a more wide variety of genres. 
I mean, it's no secret that, uh, for lack of a better term, my favorite band is Ween, right? Because I, I found the community there. A lot of my friends are like, you know, also big setless dorks like I am, right? But like, it, the reason is is because they they play everything, and I like everything. Uh, I, I grew up in a punk rock community, and it's still very much who I am. Um, but, you know, what's more punk than the Meat Puppets playing psychedelic country songs for Black Flag audiences? All right, so I like everything. I, I'm, I'm a big affinity for hip-hop, especially underground hip-hop. And there are some mainstay, wonderfully talented bands that I'm friends with in this town, right, who, like, accomplish a lot in the hip-hop community around here. But, like, we have all these hardcore and punk rock bands just popping up. And it's, you know, it's definitely influenced by how many shows that they can accomplish and you know be on the lineup for around here right like last night there was a there's a garage show going on and you can hop on those shows playing heavy music and i I very much want to see the hip-hop community grow uh to a similar extent right where it's like that contagious so we just started putting together these hip-hop workshops uh over at art lab and they're basically open mics for people who are just kind of kicking things off and you have some of the bigger name, you know, acts in town giving you positive critiques and, and helping to work with you. So for March 27th, we have Thin Air Crew. Uh, we have Obesity Jones out of Denver, who's also a fantastic graffiti artist. And we have Josh Hartko, who uh, is also in a band called Ash Red Horse, but is an amazing rapper, but like more on the R&B side of things. So if you're looking to add a little soul smooth singing into the aspects, he he has your back, right? Um, obesity is a great choice because, like I said, fantastic graffiti artist. So if you want to get uh, involved in you know aspects of hip-hop that aren't just the music, he's there to give you tips on how to do visual art, right? But also, you know, if you're a rapper or if you make beats or if there's some, like, kind of thing that you want to get involved in, you know, hip-hop's interesting. When I first saw... Uh, Karis wanted to do a spoken word set over at Northeastern University. He was talking about the seven aspects of hip hop, and it wasn't just about emceeing, you know, it's very much about graffiti and break dancing. And a lot of the things that you don't see as often in hip hop nowadays, like to me, since it started with the DJ, because that's what it was hip hop was the DJ, and the MC was more about crowd control and getting people to throw their hands in the air. And it was always about the DJ, you know, it was Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five. Sedgwick right? Avenue, man. Yeah, I'm saying like it, if if the DJ is also the drummer, is also the invention of cutting and scratching. Like the, this, these are the aspects that like are the basis of hip hop. Why can't we bring that back? And since we have people like Alex Knox who've offered to do scratching classes for us as we build this program out, we're gonna have people be able to show up to Art Lab and learn how to scratch on turntables. Right, and we can use our band Blastoff program to do things like acquire synthesizers and ways for you to record on your phones at home, and then come back and workshop those with some of the bigger acts in hip hop from the area. Uh, there's no reason why that community can't continue to expand, and that's what I want to see. I want to see like 13 year olds hop on the stage and just cut their teeth and feel like they should go home and work even more because they have opportunities to play shows around town. So. That's something that I want to see accomplished more in 2022 is a lot more underground hip hop shows and see that scene build out where, because I mean, how many people on this very campus are 18 years old sitting in their dormitory, spitting rhymes, dreaming about that thing, you know, and like, 
there's no reason why there can't be that scrappy DIY mentality for hip hop. You know, it's it's not always a more polished art form. Some of the grimiest, you know, hip hop beats are my favorite. So like we're gonna be working on that a lot in twenty twenty two because well, I like it. <laughs> hip hop I mean, we have had a few like not huge, huge names, but we do have some big names. Yeah. Like, Greaves is from Fort Collins, and then somebody who I personally grew up with, uh, Kersey, Jordan Kersey. Yeah. He's been doing stuff with big names. Yeah, it's here. Recently as well. Uh, Back, I mean, a song that we just played, we just played Handlebars from Flowbots, and they are Yeah, I got to see them here at uh, New West Fest just a couple years ago. Yeah, I think I saw them. I, I saw them at that show, but I've seen them a few times here in town, and they're always so much fun. I actually watched one of the vocalists do the commencement speeches at um at some of the graduations one year and oh cool i'm doing that in 2024 oh nice <laughs> uh but he he went he went here one yeah. of the members from the flowbots went here and i mean i don't know if you've reached out to them but they're big Not yet they're big community people as well they always do I can't remember what the event's called, but I know there's bowling involved. Something on the lanes down in Denver. You're the second person who's told me to reach out to them. And these are all people that I plan to reach out to in so many ways. I just wanted to make sure I had the, the drive behind me. Not the drive, you know, like the heat, like the, the package. Yeah. You know, that my, ele- my elevator pitch wasn't BS. Make sure you got it all there before you're... Yeah. <laughs> this is why you should get involved. And there's the evidence of why you should get involved, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, no, hip-hop is here. And like I said, there's like a handful of like big-name acts that, that circle around here, and they deserve all the credit they get. I just I want a parking lot show like two or three times a month with like up-and-coming hip-hop artists, and I, I think it's totally doable. And, you know... I haven't seen it yet here, and I'm excited to, to help build it out. It seems like a little bit more of a niche than our hardcore scene, I suppose. I, I, I mean, it's a different process, and it is. But see, here's the thing, though. In hip-hop, you can do it all from your bedroom. And, like, often people do do it all from their bedroom. And if they cut a good enough track and they promote it the right way online, they might even get their start that way. But I want them to workshop it. Right, I want I want to see it at our DIY spaces, like as opposed to just dreaming it in the room. I mean, because there's something very beneficial that even if you don't make it, even if your it is being a rock star, you know, or being like at the top of the game, like there's something beneficial that even if you don't come anywhere close to there, playing live shows, even if it's just for your friends. Maybe like acquiring a local following. And if it only goes as far as there, it might still be some of the best times of your life. And who knows? Maybe that's the way that somebody hears you and they say, well, you know, we have this band and we're not quite any genre of music. And it's just an instrumental thing. And let me hear you rhyme over this. And before you know it, you have the next project. The only way you get new styles of music is by crossbreeding old styles of music with a new flavor, you know, whatever your new energy is. So, like, I would like to have even bigger mixed bill shows. And you've been to enough Blast Describe shows, I see you around. You know that sometimes I'll just have an off-the-wall five bands that don't sound anything like one another event, and I will just put them in the order that I think would flow the best like a mixtape. Because to me, there's no headliner. To me, it's like I just put the best order that I think is going to suit the show in the same way that like, you know, you shouldn't overdo your drums or overdo your baseline or whatever it is. Like you're supposed to suit the song. 
right? You can show off to a degree, but like if you're just showing off an entire song, it's not going to sound right. I try to build shows the exact same way. I do it in the order that I think it's going to sound the best. You know, and as long as you don't take it personally that you're playing second instead of fourth this time, you, you might realize that like, well, it just the flow was better. Yeah, uh, just hopping back to the, I mean, our conversation about hip hop. You don't want to talk about the flow of shows anymore. Oh, we can talk okay. about the flow no, of shows fine. if you want. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, so let's 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 make it a little hand in hand here. So uh, the flow of shows, it's all about. No, let's talk about hip hop, man. I'm just messing with you. <laughs> okay, so uh, you're talking about like you want people to come in and workshop their beats. Yeah, and, and their rhymes and meet their future collaborators and find out there's people that are living the other side of town that are doing similar things or maybe doing the exact opposite thing that you're doing that would connect with the thing that you're doing to create a full project. You know, you get that when you go to like a rock and roll show, like it happens, people are scoping out your bass player and before you know it, you don't have a bass player anymore. Or if it's a bass player or a drummer, more likely there'll be in multiple bands because a good bass player and a good drummer are hard to come by, right? Yeah. It's like, why are all drummers in committed relationships? Because they're already in five bands. <laughs> That's good. That's yeah. good. It's accurate. Yeah. Uh, so uh, with the, the beat making process, there are a lot of other beneficial things that go along with that. You get better at, you know, the formulation of, you know, a musical, more like a composer than yeah. a single person who plays an instrument. But you also gain experience within mixing and that is also another like very positive outcome that is great for these live shows as well. And back to how you're structuring and lining up all these shows. Yeah, if you if you become <laughs> a great producer, right, and you make great beats, why wouldn't I put you as DJ or host of these events and like stop running with my phone to attach to the PA in between bands? So I can play you great old jazz standards in between hardcore bands, which I will do. That is something I thoroughly enjoy at these shows. Whenever there's just this like hardcore, you're like, they're just screaming on stage. And if it's Matt Dooley, he's hitting himself in the head with a microphone too. Yep. And then we have to thoroughly clean that microphone off. Well, he I, brings his own actually. He brings his own. Because he bleeds on it so often. But he also, uh, yeah, also breaks a lot of them. Yeah. And if you know how hard it is to break an SM57, <laughs> he does it on his head. He's <laughs> got the scars to prove it. Yeah. And then, and then in between these sets, it's smooth jazz. Yeah. Well, I would call it smooth jazz. Maybe it's cool jazz. But cool <laughs> jazz. Okay, not smooth jazz. We. <laughs> It's Kenny G. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I like I like to have the palate cleanser, right? I do have my shows too, right? You had a you were just there on Wednesday. Uh, besides being an amazing band, Doom Scroll being a folk punk band in between two very hard natured bands is a palate cleanser, right? And it comes from the same you know birthplace. It just kind of evolved into a different form of music. But all three of those bands, in many ways, come from like kind of the same like centerpiece, right? But like you have the folk punk band in the middle, and then you just kind of just kind of wipes the palette clean, and then the next hardcore band comes on, you're like rejuvenated, you know? Five hardcore bands in a, in a row, science can get just to be a little bit too much. Yeah, and it, I love the genre, and it can be a little too much. Absolutely, <clears throat> and you, I mean, in a personal experience i know i need that palate cleanser because i just need some time to get my energy back yeah first band i'm you know you're dancing and going hard and then 
you just need a break. We're getting old. It's way easier to have a conversation to Dave Brubeck in between two hardcore bands than if I were just to continue playing the bands that these hardcore bands listen to. You know? Yeah. The bands that I listen to when I need to blow off steam. Right? And, like, it's it's pretty accurate that music without lyrics is also a, you know, good, like, push towards having conversation. And I do want people to, to feel like they can connect with our people at these shows so in between bands i i do tend to to go in that direction at the same time i was often a very awkward teenager so you have that arts and crafts table right there too so if you don't feel like talking to somebody you can just bury your head into uh into the table and just make something yeah and let's talk about this blast and bull show that just happened we had it was what, Copper Teeth. Sludge Broker, yeah. Doom Scroll, and then Copper Teeth. Well, Sludge Broker, I mean, all right, so that's two out of three members of Transient Curse. And Transient Curse played the first big Blast and Scrap show I ever had, which was them and Spliff Tank. And that was all just like talking about Blast and Scrap. I, I wasn't like lying or anything. I was just talking about all the things it could do, but in present tense, you know, because it's, I don't know, it's like, Ziggy Stardust writing his own story, right? Like you just, you tell people what you're doing and just keep doing it. And then you aren't lying, you're doing it, right? And I, I got these bands to play. And so Transient Curtis became quickly like my first musical friends in town, as long as those, those Spliff Tank guys, right? They were all like super, super supportive. And then they became a two-piece. And I feel like, if I remember correctly, they, they were possibly going to shop around for, for another guitar player. And as a two-piece, just bass and drums, they ended up being able to reach you know further depths by just being the two of them because your limitations force you to be creative, right? Anybody who's known me a long time will hear me talk about you know the, the proof is in Django Reinhardt, right? Django Reinhardt can only use two fingers and a thumb. And, you know, for all intents and purposes, shouldn't have been a jazz guitar player, especially at the time that uh, there was only a handful of really good jazz lead guitar players is mostly an instrument that you played chords for horn players to solo on top of. Uh, and because of his limitations, he created gypsy jazz. And that style, you can trace all the way now to Gol Gol Bordello and the gypsy style that Django created because he could only dance with his two fingers and only play power chords in between these solos is now a genre of its own. And because he didn't quit and because he had limitations, Transient Curse is phenomenal band that I would love if it ever happens someday hint hint to reunite at a Blast and Scrap show that would be great but like Sludge Broker is covering new ground and they're doing so because there's only two of them and you're hearing things in the bass and besides the fact that they're two of the craziest most talented musicians in this town and also two of the most laid back intelligent nice to talk to you people uh it, it pairs for a really nice reason to work with them. Yeah, I just sat down with it's Eric and Aaron. Uh, no, it, it is Evan and Aaron. Evan and Aaron. <sighs> yes. Sorry, guys. If you didn't ask me, I could have told you. <laughs> it took me five <laughs> seconds, and I'm like on the spot. <laughs> yeah, I just sat down with them. Uh, like, uh, actually at the Blast and Scrap show, yeah. I sat down, gave them a little. Hey, quick. You're... 
You're sneaking in the VIP area. I know. Sneaking around. You no, know? that's cool. The green room. I think 830 North would be okay with you interviewing a band about their show on the bus. I think that's okay. I'm just fooling Already around. did it. You're, you're good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and they they, uh, they kind of broke down their, um, their songwriting process for me and how like they, they're very intuitive. Yeah. And it shows in their music. And I've only had the chance to see them once because I showed up as soon as they finished on Wednesday. I was at a work meeting. Yeah. Yep. It'll happen. It happened. Yep. But great guys. Great music. Totally. And they they clearly do know each other. Like you can tell it's about feel. You can tell it building the thing together on the spot. And often it's like it became a song and it's like they're reproducing what kind of just came naturally. It's very interesting. Yeah. They told me that they will sit down and kind of just like jam together and just like play a bunch of stuff, but record it as well. And after they're like, oh, like we really liked that. Let's try to recreate it. Gonna relearn how to play my improv. It's not the same thing every time. And that's another beautiful aspect of what I have seen them them do that, that one show that I saw them play. Just very interesting set of intuition, but also like knowing your instrument and knowing the person you're playing with. Yeah, we could talk about jazz all day if you want too, right? Like, maybe another time. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I already named Job David Rubrek. We don't have to go further, I guess. Charles Mingus is the best. Anyway, so you watch them over the last three years. They've grown exponentially as musicians, and they were already of the most talented musicians I've ever seen. And now it's like where they had this like transient curse technical aspects that were just like. It's difficult. Nightwakers like this too, and that they're they're technical, but you still bang your head. And sometimes bands get so technical that like you you lose the groove, right? Transient curse that was never the case. Nightwaker, it's not the case. Like you still just want to like just it's a banger, right? Watching Sludge Broker just kind of push into psychedelica. At what point can you even use words like grindcore to describe them? Because they're doing something different, and it's unique to them because they know feel because they know each other musically and because they grow the thing together, often on an improv front. At some point, you're just a unique artist, even if you're touching upon elements from other styles of music. And I don't think they really put up any barriers on what styles of music they're willing to touch on. And I respect that a lot. Yeah, great guys. All right. And we realized that we're actually out of time. We've had just too much fun. Anybody you'd like to give thanks to before we hop off the air? Oh, man. Dude. Million we people. Have to, yeah, we have to hop off the air. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my entire family, you know, wife, uh, puppies, mother, father, sister, brother, other sister, you know, cousins. Uh, it, it bears repeating to all the friends who've been supportive throughout the years, the ones who stuck by me when I was still a wreck, the friends that become family. Uh, they're just as important as family because uh, we're all blood, technically. Those who don't see us as separate people, you know, if I haven't met you yet, right? If you're a unifying person, I love you. You can find more information about this nonprofit at blastandscrap.org on Facebook or Instagram. Thank you for listening to Live and Local, a podcast brought to you by 90.5 KCSU.